0: The NCAA tournament is over, and that means the NBA draft season is finally in full swing. We've got some mixed emotions, but on this episode, we will be talking about what happened last night in the NCAA tournament, one of the most chaotic and historic NCAA tournament championship games in recent memory. And then we'll also break down a little scouting report of North Carolina's Caleb Love, and one player he took down along the way to the NCAA title game in Kendall Brown, coming up next on Locked On NBA Draft. You are Locked On
1: NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Welcome to Locked On NBA Draft. My name is Richard Stamen. You might know me better as at Mavs Draft. I am joined tonight by Leaf Uh Leif is my longtime co-host. Uh, he re- just actually just before we get into this, um, we are reacting to the NCAA title game. It is eleven thirty Central Time. The game ended no later, no earlier than thirty minutes ago. Um, Leif. Talk to me. I, I know you're a little it's a bittersweet for both of us. How do you feel?
1: Man, I'm just like sad the, the season's over, but I was so happy to have such a good championship game. And my heart goes out to Armando Bacon. I wanted to start there. I know we're not talking about him as a draft one for this, but that guy played his, like, just his hard out, sprained his ankle against Duke, came back in, and he played so hard. Then he sprained his ankle, hopped back on defense. And made them stop the play and and gave Carolina the best chance to win a uh, great coaching job by Hubert Davis in his first job and then props to Bill Self winning a championship after a tough year for him after losing his father and what what a game I mean that was awesome but it always leaves me with just kind of this lump like a lump in my stomach like man what do I what am I going to do to fill my time after watching college basketball since November and just obsessing over it but it's draft season and I'll, I'll find something to do but these, these few hours after the game, it, it definitely always hits me.
0: Yeah. It's a lot of raw emotion and we'll, we'll cover some of that coming up, but first today's episode is brought to you by Prize picks, check out prizepicks.com and use promo code NBA, or go to your app store and download the app today. Prize is daily fantasy made easy. And, you know, now that the NCAA season is over, I, I want to thank you all. Uh, you guys have been listening to us or if it's your first time listening uh, regardless, thank you for, listening to us along the way um, or today and for, you know, supporting us as we've gone throughout the season. It started, Leif, uh joined me originally in November as a guest, we were doing, you know, college basketball once a month. And then in G- January, I was like, Hey, you know, maybe more than just uh, more than just once a month, why don't you, you know, be full-time co-host and uh, Leaf has taken that role and very well. And it's uh it's been a pleasure going through this full college season, but uh, this is actually, you know, I'm not huge on watching college basketball. I know Leaf and I differ a little bit on that, uh, just cause I'm spoiled by the NBA so much, but, um, you know, like I said, it's bittersweet. So let's talk about tonight's game. Uh, I think you let it off perfectly. Armando Baycott, even though he's not an NBA draft prospect, especially this year, look, that dude made a name for himself. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I, I want to say he has an extra year of eligibility. It feels like he's been in college. He does. Probably. But yeah, yeah he's, he's, a
1: he's a he's a true junior.
0: Yeah. So he's going to be around a little bit more average 13 rebounds a game heading into t- the title game. And for when he comes out, I'm assuming it'll be next year. I don't know what the eligibility will be like. He'll get a lot of love. No pun intended for us future talking about Caleb Love, but uh, he'll get a lot of love and really made a name for himself. And I do think a lot of the flashes are legit. Um, talk to me about what you like in Armando Baycott.
1: His motor. He, he rebounds the ball at an unbelievable level. And he's a pretty good finisher around the basket. And then what stood out to me was his leadership in this, in this run where he was the only player that was an all ACC level player. I uh, was first team all ACC and coach K even said that he was his ACC player of the year, but it was really just his, uh, his motor to get rebounds and defensively, I was impressed with the way he handled guarding McCormick for most of the game. And of course, right. As he goes down, they score in the post uh, when he's out of the game to seal the game. Uh, but yeah, I think he had 99 rebounds in six games in this run. So uh, that does, that should tell you all you need to know about him. And, and there's, there's a spot in the NBA. Uh, it might be a very niche role, but uh, there's a spot in the NBA for that productivity on the glass.
0: Yeah. Rafael Barlow, who does shows Mondays and Thursdays for Watch on NBA Draft, he put it out perfectly. It was like, you know, if he was born in 1980, this guy might have had a really nice career in the 2000s because what he does is the dirty work. And there's nothing more 2000s big man than the dirty work guy. Uh, he, he made a name for himself. I think Brady Manick was someone else who made a name for himself. And uh, for the stats, I, I, I feel like this is necessary. So while Armando Baycott went 3 of 13, and North Carolina's a very, very top-heavy team. They had two bench players. Only one of them played significant minutes. Um, everybody else, it was mainly the starters, they all played 30, 30 or more minutes. Armando Baycott went 3 of 13, but had 15 rebounds, including six offensive rebounds, two assists, one steal, one block, and 15 points. He was a machine at drawing fouls. And, you know, that just kind of summarizes how North Carolina got there. But uh, anybody else on the North Carolina side you want to talk about before we switch over to Kansas? Uh, we'll obviously be going into deep dive Caleb Love in a bit. But anybody else on North Carolina?
1: I think Leaky Black, because of his versatility, ability to guard one through four, may have a chance to play in the NBA. He really struggles shooting the jumper. Um, he's made 17 threes all season, including the postseason. Uh, and they played roughly 35 games. Uh, so he's not a prolific shooter, and that's like the the swing skill. If he can get that going to a modest, even respectable percentage, he's got a future in the NBA. I think he's a summer league guy that may work his way into having a chance at the league, um, just purely off of defensive ability and switchability.
0: Yeah, and I I don't know what to make of those defense-first guys who are like tweeners on offense, especially older players. They're really hard to evaluate, but I do think he's going to get summer league looks. He'll get preseason looks. and he'll get the opportunities. I think things like this, the big takeaway kind of tying our two markets here, college basketball and NBA draft is the stuff matters. It gets guys opportunities. I don't think this necessarily makes guys stock rise more than it should for most players. I think it helps a lot of borderline first round guys. Um, but I, I do think Leaky Black is someone that'll definitely get some, uh, some love come draft time and the draft process, all of that. But switching over to the Kansas side, kind of related Oche stock has skyrocketed. He was already pretty much heading into the elite eight. He was already getting into, or excuse me, the final four. He's getting lottery nods and mock drafts. Every major mock draft had him in the lottery, which generally where there's smoke, there's fire. That means the GMs liked what they've seen. And then he absolutely tore it up in New Orleans. Even though against uh, Kansas, or excuse me, North Carolina, who only went four of nine. It wasn't any crazy volume. The shooting is so real, and the gravity is real. Uh, I, I just don't see a way that doesn't translate. I've seen a lot of people say he's too risky, but I don't see it. Talk to me, though, about what you saw with Igbaji and just the Kansas side as a whole.
1: Igbaji had a uh, explosion in the second half against Miami that carried through the Final Four. And, you know, we talk about the Dante DiVincenzo run. Igbaji was more on mainstream. Like, he was approaching lottery for most people, and you and I included. We, we were there a little bit before then. Uh, but you know, when a guy's approaching lottery and he has a final four run where he's named most outstanding player, you usually move up stocks. And I think rightfully so. The concern for him is, is what the same we've said is that he doesn't put the ball on the floor and create for himself, but that's not what he's going to be asked to do. And I think the perfect comparison is that what we talked about last time, like Chris Duarte was 24 last year and picked thirteenth, And they are similar prospects with Duarte with having a tiny bit more ball handling but Agbaji doesn't need to do that, and he's younger and a better athlete, and, and people are very satisfied with the Duarte pick. So I think don't overthink it. Go with productivity. He was a first-team All-American. He was the, one of the best players in the, in the country all year, won a national championships, got a track record for success, good defender, tall, athletic, and shot 46% from three. It's, it's not terribly difficult to, uh, to think about a better track record.
0: Yeah. And you look at guys like Desmond Bain, who over the years uh, had, you know, played way too big of a role or what was seen as too big of a role that they wouldn't play in the NBA. That's what a lot of these guys do. I mean, Robert Covington is someone who comes to mind. You look up his college stats, you would have thought you were getting a, an all around player on offense, when in reality, he's kind of a role player where a baji being kind of an off-ball threat while being the best player on the title team. Sometimes it doesn't bode well, but Uh, We've done, we've done a full episode scouting him to his game. I think it was either last week or two weeks ago. And, you know, that stuff, it just translates because of the worst, what he's a shooting specialist with athleticism and length that can probably hold his own on defense. His game fully scales up. One other, I'm curious about on there. um, You know, I'll, I'll let you talk about kind of what happened tonight and overall, but I think these are pretty much the other two guys. A lot of people talk about with Kansas, whether it's the college landscape or the NBA draft And that's Christian Brown. He's more seen in the NBA draft landscape. David McCormick, who has had a super career at Kansas.
1: Yeah, Christian Brown, I think, has worked his way into – I would take him in the second round. I think some people have have him besides the first round because they believe in his shooting. He's a good shooter. He doesn't shoot that much. But what impresses me about him, and this is more from the college side, but you can talk about the grit that will translate to the the NBA side. He's a really good rebounder. He led Kansas in the national championship game with 12 rebounds. Uh, he's versatile. He had some post-up buckets. He's really good in transition and he shot roughly about 40% from three. I'm pulling it up right now, but it is not loading for me. Um, yeah, he shot 38% from three and it's his career 39% this past year. Uh, I, I would take him if he were to come out and I could see him going back. Uh, I'm not sure he will, but I could see it cause he's a Kansas guy. Uh, but I would take him around 35, 37 this year's draft. Uh, And then as for McCormick, I don't see the NBA for him. I don't think he's a very good pick and roll defender, which is so important now, but he had an awesome uh, career at Kansas. And if he wanted to, I think he'd come back for a fifth year because of COVID uh, being his sophomore year.
0: Man, that, that would be crazy for, for Kansas. Just all of, all of that. Um, I think you summarized it perfectly. I wanted to throw in McCormick just because uh, you know, the whole, I, I think a lot of guys who don't watch college basketball a ton, they see these final four and Elite eight games and they're like, well, I, I mean, personally, I've gotten a ton of questions saying, why isn't McCormick this? Isn't he in it? You know, why is Brown not higher? Um, and I, I think that kind of answers it very well. And, you know, we did a big 12 prospect ranking. What uh, right now? And I think we did this in early March or late February. It was actually, I know it was before Kansas lost to TCU. So it had to be in February. And I know you had Christian Brown as a top five prospect in the big 12. I personally did not. Um, he's a little bit iffy. My, my main concern with him is tunnel vision and, you know, ability to uh, play within himself and kind of see the floor as a whole and not premeditate his whole game. But, you know, that's uh that's kind of the risk of college players. I think you brought up a very good point. He very well could return. They have a really strong freshman class coming in. He could be the leader and kind of, maybe follow suit of Oce Agbaje. I mean, maybe he sees him and goes, Hey, I can do that next year too. And help Kansas get back to the final four or whatever it is. I think it's a very real possibility, but that was pretty much our, um, our recap on the NCAA tournament finale. It's been a fun season, but we're going to get over to NBA draft scouting. We're going to kind of transition this into a similar realm. Uh, We're going to go into Caleb love right after this break, but let me tell you about Prize Picks. Are you looking for a daily fantasy option for the NBA? Then you need to try the award winning app Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love this, and we know you will too. <clears throat> the way Prize picks works is very easy to use. Uh, you pick two to five players and an over under on their projections, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry, and it's just you versus the projected numbers. Entries can be made. In 60 seconds or less, it's very quick, very easy. And also prize fix is safe and offers fast withdrawals. You can use it on the App Store or Google Play. And the way it works is you can offer, uh, pretty much they offer any props you can think of from points scored, rebounds, steals, blocks, whatever it is, you can do it. And you can cross the sports, cross categories, all of it. If you want to bet, say LeBron gets over seven and a half assists a game. And then in MLB on opening day, which is later this week, that Spencer Torkelson, who just got called up on the Tigers, gets over one and a half hits on a game. You can cross those together. So for a limited time, PrizePix has an exclusive no-brainer of an offer for all their users. Users get fifty dollars for free if a player in the PrizePix entry offers a excuse me scores a single point. But you must use code NBA. That's right. This is an exclusive offer available to Locked On fans. Sign up today and use code NBA for $50 for free if a player in your first prize picks entry scores a single point. BetOnline is your number one source for all your betting needs in sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including this week's Masters and opening week for MLB. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports scores, and also they have Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. If you're trying to bet on any of, uh, for example, if you're a bold man, I know today the Blazers and Thunder play each other, the absolute tankathon. If you're trying to bet on that, bet online has you covered, or you could also do any of the games that actually matter to the NBA playoffs, such as Lakers, Suns, or again, I'm an MLB guy, so I'm going to keep throwing it out, but also potentially MLB opening day. Bet online where the game starts. So back on Locked On NBA Draft, we just recapped the NCAA tournament and the finale of what we saw in the rises and falls. And I feel like there's nobody better to do a scouting report for right after the tournament than of Love. He was the first one who came to mind. He's been a hot topic on draft Twitter and honestly Twitter of and any basketball fans. I think college fans have been asking, NBA fans have been asking, NBA draft people have been second-guessing themselves. So let's talk about Caleb Bluff. He's a 6'4 guard, 195 pounds. He's from St. Louis, former top 15 recruit in 2020. As a sophomore, this is entering the title game because, again, we're recording this right after. Basketball reference hasn't updated. Averaged 16 points per game, 3.6 assists, one steal, 3.4 rebounds. And that was on 38% shooting, uh, 37% from three, and 86% from the line. And actually, I saw a very interesting... Stat and I'm trying to pull it up here um, as I am talking, but Jonathan Giovanni posted this. Caleb Love shot 38% from two this season. College players drafted after shooting 39% from two or lower. And apologies if you hear this, there's a very loud storm behind me. Uh, Isaiah Whitehead, Malachi Richardson, Brandon Boston Jr. Last year, Josh Selby and Andrew Harrison. Will Caleb Love join this list? We First, I'd love to hear your answer to that. Will Caleb Love join that list? And then tell me about what you like. About Caleb Love, let's start
1: on the positives. Interesting list, right there. I think he will join this list. Is that he will get drafted? I I will say that I think Brandon Boston's actually good. So I think at, at the point of that list is that those players had uh, careers that you wouldn't necessarily call fruitful. But uh, I actually think Brandon Boston will be the exception to that. But I do think Caleb Love will be in that list. W- in the what the purpose of it was it, but. Um, what I will say about Caleb Love, positive, is he can shoot the ball. Like a lot of his shots, like he shot 38% from three, and his shots aren't like catch and shoot. Like uh, Agbaji gets a ton of shots, and he's a better shooter, but his shots are easier than Love's. So Love's 38% is not quite alike to Agbaji's 46. Uh, Love, off the dribble, is a very good shooter. He's, he's a good finisher. I, I was very impressed with the way he finished against Mark Williams of Duke in the semifinal. He has the capacity to take over a game like he did in the semifinal as well as the Sweet 16 against UCLA. And I think the, the thing I would say is a swing steal for him is can he facilitate there? He had a few games in the, in the uh, beginning of March and entering the conference tournament a, into the uh, beginning of the na- uh, national tournament. He had five assists, five assists, four assists in the ACC tournament and the Cameron Indoor finale where they beat Coach K. I, I think his, his facilitation is the swing skill and his shooting is really good. Um, can I switch to the negatives?
0: Yeah, because I think you hit it on the head. It's pretty much he's a shooter and he might be able to facilitate. I think you hit that absolutely on the head. Let's, let's go straight to the negatives. This might be a quick one.
1: Yeah, so, so my negatives here are inconsistency. and The reason I wanted to switch to it is because I have this interesting stat pulled up here. Uh, he's inconsistent. And I don't want to put this because of what was said today, but this is something that we have talked off air and even a little bit on air about, is that I think that he's a he's a tough shot maker, but he doesn't need to shoot those tough shots. And today was no no uh exception to that. He was five of twenty-four. That's obviously an outlier. He was he was both like he's not gonna shoot that badly, even shooting tough shots. But here's his last 10-15 games. He went six of 19 against Syracuse, four of seventeen against Duke. 2 of 10 against Virginia, 3 of 17 against Virginia Tech. Then the tournament begins. Marquette, 6 of 15. Baylor, 1 of 6. UCLA, 11 of 24. St. Peter, 6 of 17. Duke, 11 of 20. 5 of 24 in the championship game. So two of those stand out, and that's Duke and UCLA. He was exceptional in those games. But most of those are pretty staggeringly poor numbers, and people fall in love with the tough shots, but I don't want him to take those tough shots, especially if you're drafting for the NBA. That's not what you want. And uh, you want steadiness out of a backup guard or exceptional shooting and not tough shot making. And so I, I, I struggle to see him being a, a guy who rises up the draft board, even after this run where Carolina made it to the final. He was a huge part of it was uh, of that run. And he absolutely was. But I've, I can't move him up very much. I think he's, he's in my 50s at highest right now. Uh, so I do think he will get drafted. I think someone's going to give him a chance, but I don't think the hype on Twitter about him is, is real.
0: Yeah. It's, it's always hard because, um, and I, I don't know how to say this without sounding ridiculously condescending. So I I never want to do that. um, You know, uh, doing this and that is not what my intentions are, but um, you know, it's hard when you watch all these players on terrible teams that just don't get the attention. Uh, North Carolina state, for example, is a great, great reference point. Darion Seabron and um, Turqu- uh, I, I can't even, Smith on their team. Tur- I think it's Terquavion, uh, Smith on their team. I mean, both of those guys I think are safely better than Caleb Love. And, you know, I don't really think either of those, Smith might be get, getting drafted. Uh, Sebron really can't shoot. Sebron really can't shoot, but it's completely irrelevant. There's too many guys ahead of him. Uh, he's probably the streakiest player in the draft uh, of realistic draft targets in my top 80 He is far and away the streakiest. I I tweeted this out the other day, but, uh, you know, despite being a riser, uh, I had him back as top 25 in January. I was like, man, this guy's breakout as a sophomore is fully real. And that was after his first 15 games. So the first 15 games, um, he averaged 15 points per game, 45% from the field, 44% from three. Then the next 18 games, he averaged 15 points per game still the field goal percentage dropped 31% from the field, 33% from three. And, you know, my main worry, I think a big part of this is in the NBA, he's going to get contested very hard because he has a very low release. Low releases are fatal to undersized guards and Caleb love might be a victim to that. It's really unfortunate, but um, yeah, I, I do think those the whole shooting inconsistencies and the textbook, the the right word for that, that perfectly describes Everything that is Caleb Love is just streaky. You you kind of hit it. Inconsistency, another way to say it. Um, I, I have a hard time with him. So let's get to uh, let's get to some statements about him. I guess so. Projected draft range. You think he gets drafted? I know you kind of answered I, it earlier.
1: I I do. I, I think he gets drafted on merit of this tournament and his like. Oh wow, he just got super hot. Like a guy that this. They're not terribly similar, but I think a, a guard. That he's bigger than, but was a good score in college is Grant Riller, Grant Riller got drafted. I think Caleb Love gets drafted on the same merits of being able to score in college basketball, but I don't think he's going, and he's younger, but uh, I don't think he's necessarily got himself a secure blanket. And I wouldn't be stunned if he comes back to Carolina.
0: Yeah. Both options I think are equally likely. If he stays in, he's going to get drafted. If he comes back, he's going to do very well um, I personally think he's going to be. I mean, the the whole fifties are a crapshoot. I mean, the, who was it on UCLA in twenty eight? Thomas, uh, I think it was Welsh. What's his first name? Uh, Thomas Welsh. Welsh, he got drafted. Like I, I was, I did not hide it at all. Uh, this is this is when I learned you have to be a little bit cordial on Twitter sometimes when you do NBA draft. Uh, I tweeted, and I was, I was not wrong, but I tweeted how. I go, wow, Thomas Welsh is the lowest player ever to get drafted on my board. He's ranked 120. And I I got it from the UCLA fans. I'm like, you're an idiot. You're an asshole. Like all this stuff, (laughs) rightfully so. But uh, (laughs) Caleb Love is luckily safely out there. But in the 50s, uh, you know, it's just really like anything can happen. You never know who's going to get drafted. There's random players. If you look at the 50s and then the undrafted, it's like, really this guy? So I think it's entirely possible. Um, Something I like to do, is with my my draft scouting reports is and I I didn't warn you on this and I should have but something I like to do is the best case scenario and worst case scenario my best case is I think he's a backup guard who plays with a true point guard and his worst case is he just doesn't make the league and he does well in Europe what do you think
1: I agree with that and actually I like adding that to a scouting course so I, I like being put in the hot seat here I, I agree with the, the the negative side of the floor and the positive side. I don't have a comparison, but I think your assessment of ha- him having to play with the true point guard and be a scorer off the bench is accurate. I think he could uh, shoot like th- this is, this is a very obscure one. He's not DJ Augustine, but I think he could late in his career be a guy who shoots like the late in his career, DJ Augustine. And, but he's not going to run a team like that. I think he could be, a secondary playmaker for a 10th a man on a team um, and he shoots well um, at a very high level by well. I mean, I think he could really, really shoot well, but he can't be the primary ball handler as like a consistent backup point guard. So he'll need an actual point guard and he'll need to specialize as a shooter and work on his defense.
0: Yeah, you're you're preaching to the choir here. Uh, I actually like that a lot. If you just made DJ Augustine less of a playmaker. Uh, I have a lot of Magic fans I know that love listening to this. So, uh, you know, that's Magic legend DJ Augustine that you brought up. I I don't disagree at all. Uh, My best case, I I think I pretty much I I actually did say it. So uh, that was pretty much all we got on Caleb Love, though. I hope that this was an informative um, kind of objective evaluation. I think neither of us really have an agenda we're trying to fulfill. I've been on both ends. Uh, Caleb love is now at the, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. He's at the near end of my bottom eight, top 80, excuse me. My bottom eighties. not at all. when he's near, but he's, he's in my top 80. He's near the bottom of that. Uh, it's a very tight list and generally the draft, uh, entries and withdrawal deadlines, all that weed people out, but I've seen him. I've had him in my top 32. So, I mean, I, I think both of us have been pretty objective with this one. Hope you'll like it. Uh, Leif, you have anything else on, uh, Caleb love.
1: Nothing more on Caleb Love, but there is a prospect that you and I've talked about before the season, before we even met on on here that we we bonded over on Twitter and we're excited to give our scouting report on. But before we get to that, let me tell you about Rock Auto. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers and makes and models, it's now impossible for you to locate your chain auto parts store to stock stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless and seemingly intimidating questions? Is your Odyssey an LX or an EX? And wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. And here's why you should use Rock Auto. You'll save time and money. And why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? For example, Honda Odyssey fuel pumps are $353 from the chain store and only $216 from Rock Auto. And they have everything you could need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Go to their easy-to-use website today and find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Locked On, L-O-C-K-E-D space O-N, and their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com
0: And we are back. So we just did the Caleb love scouting report. We're going to move on to a, the opposite end kind of out of our um, big board ranking and generally where these guys are seen. So we went to a guy that was fringe second round draftable. We're going to go to a guy who I think both of us still have in our top 20. And generally at worst, you're not going to see him slip past 25. He had a little bit cold uh, ending of the season, but that is Baylor's Kendall Brown. He was also a top 15 recruit in this last year's recruiting class. He broke out at Baylor, I think, the first half of the season, if you watched him. And if you listen to our podcast, if you go back and, you know, you're wanting to listen to any episodes of when we started and, you know, wanting to hear a fresh perspective, a little bit overreactions to some extent, but kind of natural. Kendall Brown absolutely destroyed non-conference play. He was shooting 70-something percent. At the beginning uh, of December, and or actually even at the beginning of January, he was still in the 70s. So for the year, the 6'8, 205 Kendall Brown averaged 9.7 points per game, five rebounds a game, two assists per game, one steal, a little bit under half a block a game. And that was uh, and also only 1.7 turnovers per game. And that was on 58% shooting, shot 34% from three, 69% from the free throw line, which is nice. Uh, let's talk about the pros, and I think we'll uh, we'll get a little bit longer of a list than than Caleb Love. And I'm sorry, Leaf is laughing at my nice comment. Uh, which I had to sneak in, but I think we'll get a lot longer of pros for Kendall Brown than uh, than Caleb Love.
1: Yeah, I think Kendall Brown the the pros start with his athleticism, and that that that's not a terribly observant thing to say. But it's for those of you who haven't watched a lot of him. this guy is 6'8", 205, 210, and he's got like jetpacks attached to his leg. He jumps out of the gym. He's exceptionally active, uh, both on defense and off the ball. He's a great cutter. He's very aware of where he is. And I think he's a sneaky good finisher as well. Uh, he finishes with two hands at the rim, dunking the ball or putting the ball at the glass, absorbing contact. And the question is, can he shoot at an NBA level? His shot is not mechanically gorgeous, but it's, it's acceptable. And I think there's a lot of growth for him to make. And, you know, a couple of years ago, Isaac Okoro went number five in the draft. Isaac Okoro was a 6'6", 225, really good defender. Uh, Kendall Brown is bigger, faster, and, uh, and he's just got more length. And I think he can guard more positions by virtue of his height. And I think if a guy like Okoro can go five and no one's going to have a qualm about that pick – I think that speaks to what Kendall Brown can be. And I think he's safely in my lottery still.
0: Dude, right there with you. Um, I'll kind of lead off where you left off. I have Kendall Brown still pretty high. Uh, I've got him number 12. And I I don't think there's any question about that. Um, I just posted my scouting report on Kendall Brown. And one of the names I used was Isaac Accor. I'll get to some other names in a bit, but you, you said it perfectly. The first note I have is he's an effortless athlete. The way he finishes at the rim, especially off those cuts, which he is absolutely elite at. He is the number one cutter in the draft. Uh, there's no question about it. I, I've i never, last week I took a deep dive into his cuts. I was watching games, just watching how he cuts, even the ones he didn't get shots on. You look at, he reads the plays so beautifully. It is such an incredible basketball mind on display. And it's something that I feel like we don't get to see very often in college. It's just, he knows this guy's doing this dribble. Now I have to go and that adapts. He adapts to any level that translates. It scales up. It 100% is something that will happen in the same thing in the NBA. Um, he obviously has a high motor as well, because the defense checks out, you can watch him in the NCAA tournament. The, the It's a shame we only had to see two games of him, but the Norfolk state game, for example, they could have let up. It was a 16 seed. They were, they were blowing him out. Dude just doesn't stop. Uh, and even the same thing, even in games, they're down big. I, I want to say it was the Kansas game. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. That's where they kind of lost big, right? Even then he was still trying his best on defense, putting his all. And uh, you know, I, I just feel like he's pretty special in that way. Just the athleticism, basketball IQ. Um, and then on defense, again, he just checks every box. And and I think the most underrated thing before we go into the cons for him is he can pass with both hands. He's had some really special lofty left-handed passes. Um, I I think his playmaking is just very underrated, but let's get into the cons. I'll let you lead off on that section.
1: Yeah. I think the main one that you point out is, is his shooting is inconsistent. He didn't shoot. He shot 34% from three. So for those of you who are like stat watching, haven't watched him play, he doesn't shoot that many threes. And he's like the guy who's the scouting report. You leave him open to shoot guy. Um, if he can improve that, there are very few cons. I think another one is uh, off the dribble. He often is a little bit out of control. Uh, it's, it's not a lot out of control, but there are times where when he comes off the dribble, he's not like the the Villanova well-schooled jump stop and play under control. And you don't expect that from a turbo athlete, but he loses the ball a little bit. They're very correctable. And he's also young. He's 18 years old. Um, still. I, I believe in Kendall Brown and his ability to defend and I think his offensive game will get better. Uh, I actually have, this is not necessarily a con I just have two comparisons that are not terribly similar players. I want to hear your thoughts on these that I just thought of like literally in this moment, Devin Vassell from Florida state was a more polished player coming out of Florida state. Uh, Brown's a better athlete and bigger but I think the length and learning how to play with the ball, if he came back for a second year like Vassell did, I think that could be similar. And then the other one is Robert Covington. This is more of an NBA-style thing rather than coming out of college. But Covington is a uh, superb on-ball defender, really good off-ball defender, capacity to play small ball five, and he can, he can get in the passing lanes off-ball. On-ball, he can guard your best uh, two through four. What do you think of those comparisons? And, and then obviously hop in with your, your cons.
0: Yeah. So actually Devin Vassell was one of the guys who I almost put in the comparisons. I, I wrote out four or five names uh, that seemed pretty similar to me. And uh, and Vassell almost made the cut, but he would have been my sixth one. And I was like, that's just too many. So that's a good one. Um, I think he's a freshman version of sophomore Vassell, if that makes sense, like a year advance. Yeah. Um, the, the Covington one, I see it on defense. Offense, I think it's just very different. Covington's not really a playmaker shot yeah that that point. was a
1: defense all yeah point. just for defense yeah, okay, yeah,
0: yeah just for defense I see a lot of similarities I agree um so though that's actually pretty good my cons again the shot um you know his guide hand his release is low um needs to, to smoothen out his shot and also he's scared to shoot but also like at the same time wouldn't you rather have someone who knows his strengths and weaknesses like he's like I'll just pass and kind of let the offense continue flowing as long as it's not like gonna um not like, uh, you know, in a, a devastatingly toxic way. Uh, that's, that's really what you want to see is someone who's, you know, it's not like he's bad and is like, oh, I'll make this next one and has the irrational confidence. He genuinely knows how to play within himself. So I think it's almost a strength that he, in this weakness, but he does need to improve it. And then also he lacks explosiveness with his left hand I notice his right hand, he, when he's going off the dribble, no problem. But his left hand, he, he settles for layups, things like that. And uh, he just doesn't blow by guys as easily. For player comps, I know uh, I know you would kind of let some in, so I'll, I'll throw mine. I have five names, so bear with me. Uh, Isaac Acora, you've already handled. Um, and in both of these guys, the first two are 2020 draft guys. I see a ton of similarities to Josh Green. I think a more polished Josh Green, um, just, their, just from skill set, they're very similar. Um, you know, the wings who can pass very well, defend, good athletes, but still need to learn the shot and kind of adjust their game to the NBA. Also, taller Ruben Patterson, if you remember him from back in the day, uh, I, I, from my limited remembering, and also just uh, stat search, uh, search, excuse me, that's like the absolute worst case scenario. But Ruben Patterson wasn't a terrible player; just didn't last long. Now, the two high end outcomes. This this one ranges from a very very high ceiling, and this is these two are why I have him in the lottery. And that's first one is Warriors Andre Godala. I think you could play him almost identically to how they did the death lineups. And then Shane Battier, um, he was an all defense guy. Um, I I'm just very big on those two. I think those are his ceiling outcomes. What, what do you think of those? There's a lot of them. I like
1: I like I like the high end. I, the Iggy one. I'm not sure he'll have the the offensive game Iggy developed in like early Iggy. But when you because you spez- specified it was Warriors Iggy, I, I really like that. Um, I think I think the fact that he can knock down open threes. Uh, and, he, and he can hit those threes eventually. in his career. I buy his work ethic. I buy that he'll become a better shooter. So I like that he specified that it's Warriors Iggy rather than the, the one who created for himself a lot in uh, Philly and Denver. And then I, I, I'd have to think a little bit more on the other high end, but I like the Iggy one. And I, I think the Josh Green one you put in there was a really interesting one because I see the similarities. I think Brown's got a higher ceiling by a decent margin than green, just because he's bigger and even a better athlete and Green's shot might've been slightly ahead, but Brown's an NBA ready defender already. And green was close, but I don't think he was quite on the level of defense that like Brown and Okoro, for yeah. instance, were on as rookies or I, w- Brown will be, I should say.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, you want to go over to uh projected draft range and then we'll finish off with uh, best worst case scenarios. Well uh yeah let's go, go ahead and start with the draft ring. Uh
1: f- I I've got him in the lottery as well. I think I'm at 13 right now so we're pretty similar there. I think he goes anywhere from 10. I could actually see him getting up to 8 if a team really likes him. Uh, I'd go 8 to 16. I don't think he falls anywhere past just beyond the lottery. And then um best case scenario I like I like that Iggy thought. I think he could even have a better like career than what Iggy had just in Golden State. I'm not saying he's going to be a better basketball player than Iggy, uh, but I, I think that's a pretty good high outcome uh, high ceiling right there. And worst case, I think I think you kind of hit it with Josh Green, like what he is right now. I think the worst case is that his shot doesn't develop, and Josh Green's, don't get me wrong, I actually really like Josh Green coming out, uh, but I'm saying what Josh Green is, as we're currently recording this on April 5th or April 4th, uh, where I am, April 5th, where you are, uh, Josh Green is, is not playing very many minutes for a Dallas team, but he's young. And I think Kendall Brown's career, if it goes worst case, is that he stalls because he can't shoot and his defense doesn't impact the game to the level that makes him uh, like hard to not play, if that makes sense.
0: Dude, you hit it on the head. And, and Josh Green, while he is playing minutes right now, like he's consistently in the regular season rotation, he probably won't be in the playoff rotation. Uh, so kind of that in between, he's at the, he's at the line uh, to some extent. You almost hit it exactly with what I have. So in my scouting reports, I also do the expected roll, but uh, we kind of hit that. That's a little bit redundant, uh, but I still put it in there. I put a lockdown defender with off-ball prowess offensively, uh, but his worst-case scenario comes down to that jump shooting, and teams don't even guard him on the three-point line. I think that's far and away his biggest fatal flaw is three-point shooting. Nothing else could really hold him back. Uh, The best case is that jump shot goes near league average, kind of like Jaden McDaniels. Uh, you know, he was a guy who the three point shot people, like. go, he can't shoot. He's going to be a problem. Like, and you know, usually that phrase is reserved for these like high end players who are very good, but he's actually going to be a problem with his offense because he can't shoot and lo and behold, first two years. I mean, he's shooting pretty well. And, uh, for the most part, he's in your league average. Uh, actually, I need to double check that before I just get absolutely roasted for saying something stupid, but I'm pretty sure his numbers are not bad. Um, uh, I stand corrected 31% this year, but 36% last year still on average is near league average. So uh, someone like him, you know, they can surprise and sometimes that three point percentage is true. You know, you can shoot 34% in college. You might do it in the NBA. Um, I think the absolute ceiling for him comes down to if the playmaking develops. So, you know, I see a lot, I think any Mavs fans listening, you're going to be like, didn't I say this about Josh Green? And yeah, I, I did so like, that's why I put him on there. But any final thoughts before we bring it home with Kendall Brown?
1: I think the question is how quickly can his shot develop to be becoming passable offensively because he's going to excel defensively. And I think his a, a excellent off-ball cutting makes him more passable. I, I was talking with a former coach um, at a Jazz game recently, and he was talking about how teams – and he said exactly this – uh teams like the jazz need live wire defenders is what he called it and we talked about a guy like uh stanley johnson because it was a jazz versus lakers as being just a really good athlete who could impact the game and he, he gave a couple other analogies that uh, we were talking about Mikel bridges before and obviously he's an elite elite defender um and i'm not necessarily expecting that but those with live wire athletic ability um can make a way on a roster. And if they're not good offensively, I think Brown has a chance to be good offensively. You don't have to put them in the strong side corner. You can put them in the weak side corner and have them play the dunker spot, be an off-ball cutter, and run your actions the other way. And they'll be less less of a uh, deterrent on offense than they will be a plus on defense and maybe even be passable offensively. And if you're passable offensively and excellent defensively, that's worth more than being excellent offensively and passable defensively. Um, to teams that don't make you your focal point um, as an offensive star
0: yeah and especially in this draft I think it's a generally weak draft class Um, Kendall Brown in the lottery seems just as safe of a pick as as there really ever has been Um, you know someone like him I I just think title teams need him and there's a lot of good teams that are ending up in the lottery this year I mean the Pelicans for example I mean they're going to play in Position and they're probably going to be in the lottery. And we've seen his draft stock go from um from ten. I've seen it as high as that in the top ten to down to recent mock drafts to put him in the twenties. So if you put him, for example, Milwaukee is the twenty third pick. You put him in Milwaukee. Good, good game. Everybody else, like that's a steal. Uh, so I wouldn't. If you're a fan of a playoff team and you know one of the top three or four seeds in the conference, probably don't want him slipping that far. Uh, there's a lot of good fits for him. I think almost every single team can use him. Kendall Brown is one of the most exciting players, but uh, that wraps up this episode of Locked on NBA Draft. We recapped Kendall Brown, Caleb Love, and then also as a whole, recapped the NCAA tournament finale right after it ended. We're still just over an hour after the final buzzer. Absolutely crazy game. If you didn't catch it, the highlights will do it justice. The Just a wonderful game. And also watch the one shining moment. Uh, I know Leaf has high reviews for that, but uh, thank you again for making us your first listen. For your second listen, go ahead and listen to Locked On NBA where local experts talk about the night in the NBA. Obviously no games last night, but uh, they still will preview the games coming up and whatnot in the general NBA landscape, all under 30 minutes. Thank you so much and talk to you next week.